The reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, and it's on page 1207 of your P Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. Christ's sacrifice once for all. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of the sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering he did not desire, but a body he prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire. You were not pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Um, as it's Jeff's last service with us, um, I thought we could focus our prayers for others on churches who are currently vacant um, and on ministers like Jeff who are just become eligible for a call. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jeff and for his ministry here with us at Bloomfield over the past few years. Thank you for how he has faithfully taught your word and for the joy he has brought to so many with his friendship. We pray for him as he is ordained and installed in Rosharkin next month. May he continue to faithfully teach from your word and grant him wisdom as he leads and makes decisions alongside the congregation of Rosharkin. We also pray for the Kirk Session and members of Rosharkin as they adjust to having Jeff with them. We pray that they will welcome him with open arms and make him feel at home. We thank you for the connections he already has with nearby ministers and pray that this will provide him with the help and encouragement he needs as he starts out. Give him a time of rest now as he takes some time off and we pray he will be refreshed and ready for this next chapter. 
We pray for all the congregations throughout the Presbyterian Church in Ireland who are currently vacant. This can be a difficult time and we pray that you will strengthen and encourage these congregations and the conveners responsible for their vacancy. Help them to know that you have a plan for their future and help them to rely on you during this time. We pray for ministers like Jeff, who recently became eligible for a call. Help them to discern what your will for them is as they attend interviews and preach in churches. Give them a strong sense of your peace in this time of decision-making and uncertainty. Finally, we pray for our leadership here in Bloomfield, for Frank, Damien, Bill, and the rest of the ministry team as Jeff moves on. Thank you for the blessing they are to us as a congregation, and we pray for your continued guidance for them as they lead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks to Mark and to the two Sarahs for their part, and the rest of and the musicians for leading us so far in our service tonight. Can I encourage you to turn back to Hebrews chapter 10 to have that opened up in front of you, and we're going to work our way through the whole chapter in our time together. And before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, this is your word. This is your message. And so, Father, in this time, take away anything that is of me. And Father, may this be all about you and your message to us, your people. Father, may the Holy Spirit be at work in each of our lives. And may you be glorified in this time, we pray. Amen. Well, tonight brings my final opportunity for the time being to open up God's Word here in Bloomfield. And what a passage to have as a final opportunity to preach. In this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, we're considering what is our greatest need. And we know that that's to be in a right relationship with God. The Bible says that the very reason we're made is for relationship with God. Our purpose and our identity revolves around God and being in a right relationship with Him. And yet we also know that each one of us naturally turns away from that. And so we need to be forgiven and we need to come back into a right relationship with God. But I guess already we're 30 seconds in and the temptation is for so many of us to simply switch off. Because we think, right, greatest need. Christ wants them for all sacrifice. We know where this sermon's going. We've heard it all before. We've responded to it before. So why do we need to listen? Well, if you've been with us on Sunday evenings, the writer to the Hebrews has already warned us of the danger of becoming complacent, of the danger of slipping away from God. One writer put it this way, Dead is the soul that has ceased to be amazed at the love of God shown in the cross of Christ. Or the songwriter Vicki Beeching put it like this, may I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. And so tonight we want to think about our greatest need, and we want to think about the wonder of the cross, and we want to see how the cross reminds us of the great difference 
between religion that is done by us and religion that is done for us. And our first point tonight is religion that's done by us, and we see it in verses 1 to 4. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that the way in which men and women were to be forgiven for their wrongdoing against God was through the sacrifice of animals. Every day, the priests would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, and people would be forgiven. Then there was that event once a year called the Day of Atonement, and it was a symbolic wiping of the slate. But the writer to the Hebrews here in this passage wants to make it clear that this way was doomed to failure. It was never going to last. And he says that there's three things wrong with this old system. It was incomplete. Verse 1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The writer to the Hebrew says, you've known this system. This system has been in our history, but these sacrifices were not the real thing. They were just signposts. They were signposts pointing to the much greater thing that was to come. They were a temporary solution to deal with sin until the coming of the real rescuer. The writer to the Hebrew says, this was never going to work. It was just pointing to what was greater, what was to come. During my time in Bloomfield, um, I've become quite a fan of some of the local restaurants in East Belfast and down in town. I've grown to see that there's more to life than meat and potatoes. <laughs> and some of my favorite places I now follow on social media. And you get to see their new menus, the new things that they're cooking. Well, if I went to one of these places and I took out my phone, and I said, I don't actually need the meal because I have the picture here right in front of me. It would be madness, wouldn't it? Well, that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. He's saying it's the same with the old sacrificial system. It's a bit like comparing a photograph to reality. This old system was only a shadow of the real thing. The real thing was Christ, so much greater. It was incomplete but then it was also inadequate. Verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer says these sacrifices, they don't actually do the job. They don't take away sins because they don't deal with the guilt behind the sins. They don't fully deal with the problem. It's a bit like if you went home Tuesday. It was raining all day Tuesday. And if you got home from work on Tuesday evening and you opened the door and there's water pouring down from the ceiling, well, you can stick a bucket under it, but that's not actually getting to the root of the problem. You need someone to come out and fix the hole that's in the roof. You need someone to come out and deal with the real problem. The bucket is not sorting the situation out. Yes, it makes it okay, but it's not getting to the root of the problem. These sacrifices were inadequate, and they were also intolerable. Verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. Imagine what it was like to be those Old Testament people. Day after day, month after month, year after year, you were sacrificing animals for sin. 
Every time a sacrifice was brought, it was a reminder that you're a sinner, that you need sacrifices, and these sacrifices are never going to be ending. It was a reminder again and again and again and again that this system, well, it just wasn't working because these sacrifices had to be made again and again and again, and it's reminding you you're a sinner again and again and again. So surely they longed for a sacrifice that would deal with sin once and for all. But maybe you're here and you think, okay, well, that's what they did back then. But what does this actually have to do with us today? You're sitting there thinking, Jeffrey, I don't go home in the evening and I don't sacrifice the family pet for the sin that I've caused that day. Well, at least I hope you don't. But this passage is hugely relevant to us because it's speaking right to our hearts. It's speaking right to the problem that we can have in the way that the people, that the writer to the Hebrews, he is showing up their problem, that they thought that they could get right with God by what they did. Thinking that if they kept to these rituals, if they tried to work out their way to God on their own merit, well, then things would be okay. They were ignoring the fact that God had provided a better rescue. And yet for so many of us, that's how we think that we can get right with God. That it can be about the things that we do. It can be about thinking that if we're good enough, if we do enough things, if we go to church enough times, if we help people, if we're kind to people, if we give to charity, I know I'm not right, but surely I'll just be good enough to get me across the line into heaven. This passage reminds us that nothing could be further from the truth. Because we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. And yet even as Christians, we can fall into that trap of thinking that it's about what we do. Perhaps we've not read our Bibles for a while, our prayer life, what prayer life. Our morals are slipping up in the way that we behave. Well, what's the answer? Pray more, give more, read more, get up earlier, have a cold bath, go for a long walk. Whatever it is, we think that if we do enough, well, then we'll get back on the right track with God. It's so easy to allow our relationship with God to be conducted by guilt as opposed to the freedom of knowing we're forgiven children and we're living by grace and not by works. We can approach Christ and think that it's about what we do. Whereas secondly, in verses 5 to 18, the writer moves on to remind us that it's not religion done by us, it's religion done by for us. We can never be good enough. That's what the writer to the Hebrews makes clear. He says there's a gap, there's a chasm. Your good works, your good efforts, they're never going to get you to God. Rather, what we need is for God to take the initiative and to do something about it. If we're going to get to God, then it's going to have to be God who's going to bridge that gap because we can't. And the writer says, that's what happened in Jesus. Look at verse 5. 
Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. We've seen it. The writer to the Hebrews has thrown out these three reasons. He said the old sacrificial system, sacrificing animals, it didn't work. It was never going to work. It was just for a time. It was just a shadow. It was just pointing to the reality, the greater reality, pointing to Christ who was to come. What it needed was someone, a perfect human to step forward. When Christ died on the cross, he was dying in our place our substitute, dying where we should be, taking the penalty for our sin. Jesus was the destination that all those sacrificial signposts were in the Old Testament were pointing to. And what does that mean for us? Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all once and for all. This whole sacrificial system is gone. It's not sacrificing all the time. This is a once and for all sacrifice, and it means that we can be made right with God. It means that we can have our relationship with God restored. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take sin away, away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Old Testament priests never sat down. There were no chairs in the temple because their work was never completed. They were always having to offer a sacrifice because the sacrifices never fully dealt with sin. But what does Jesus do when he sits down at God's right hand? It's a symbolic way of saying the job is done. Sin is paid for. You can go free. And so in verse 14, God can say of us, you are perfect. Your debt is dealt with. You're free. Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins are all paid for. A once and for all complete sacrifice. Because of Christ, verse 17, God looks at us and says, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. May we stand in wonder at the cross tonight. That once and for all, because of Christ, our sins and our lawless acts are remembered no more. Once and for all, God looks at us and he sees us as perfect because of Christ. Maybe you still believe that you can just be good enough. You've no headline sin. There's no sin that's going to be on the news, talked about on the streets. But each and every one of us is a rebel of God. 
Each and every one of us needs our relationship restored. And it's not going to be about what we do. It's about what Christ has done for us. So what does this all mean for us? Well, thirdly, in verses 19 to 22, look down at with me. It means we can draw near. Verse 19. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. As we have been working through Hebrews, we have been reminded about this again and again. We've been reminded that because of Christ, things have changed. We've been reminded that because of Christ, we can draw near to God. And the writer urges us to do that again and again, and again. To come back to God and ask for forgiveness, to have the confidence to come to Him in prayer. In other words, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is, because of Christ's once and for all sacrifice, it means that we can draw near to God, and this should change everything about us. We should enjoy our relationship with God, for that is what we're made for. One writer has put it this way, draw near to God. Don't try and get through life on your own two feet. Don't ignore God in your time of need. Rather, let us draw near to God, for he is the only one who can help. Draw near. Then we're told, meet together, verses 23 to 25. And from verse 24, we read, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer to the Hebrew is writing and he says, I've seen a problem. He says, some of you have stopped meeting together. Some of you have drifted away from your congregation." Perhaps it was dangerous for them to meet together. Perhaps they just didn't really get on with the other people in the congregation. For whatever reason, they were drifting away. But the writer says, it is so vital that you meet together. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we've been reminded again and again that it's hard being a Christian. And so the writer wants to make the point here that to help us in our Christian walk, to help us in our Christian life, we need to keep meeting together. Yes, he says, we may have differences. We may have quite a lot of differences between us, but we need to support and encourage each other. But the writer gives an added incentive to keep meeting together in verse 25. Because he says, all the more as you see the day approaching. And it's going to be linking into our next point. But what he's saying is that it's important that you meet together. And he says it's important that you meet together because this is all to do with the judgment day that is coming. How often, whenever we come into this place on a Sunday, do we think that this is having consequences for what happens on judgment day. But that's what the writer here is saying. 
He says when we meet together, we're encouraging each other. We're building each other up. We're looking out for each other. We're watching out for one another. We're there to say what's going on in your life. We're there to challenge one another. See, the biggest problem that we're all going to face in our Christian lives is not that we wake up someday and decide that we're going to become atheists. The biggest problem that we're going to face is that God just gets squeezed out of our lives. The biggest problem that we're going to face is that we just don't have time for him anymore. And so he says, we need to meet together. We need to support one another, encourage one another. We need to be church together. If we're going to survive, if we're going to persevere to the end, we need to hold on. We need to hold on to the hope that we have, but we also need to hold on to one another. And we see that again in verses 26 to 31, that we need to watch out. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. We need to hold on. We need to meet together, but we also need to watch out. It's extremely dangerous to drift on the tide of spiritual complacency. And so we must hold each other to account. Because the writer warns here, if we find ourselves drifting, we can find ourselves hardening our hearts towards God. And he says, if that happens, we can find ourselves placing ourselves not in God's hands of love, but in God's hands of judgment. And spiritual drift must be stopped before it becomes too late. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of God, well, this is also a message for you too. Because the writer here is longing for not one of us to be in God's hands of justice, but he wants us to be in God's hands of love. And the only way that can happen, the only way we can escape the wrath to come is by trusting in Christ and his once and for all salvation. I've been really challenged just as these past few weeks have been, as my past few weeks have come to an end here in Bloomfield. I find myself having conversations with people that maybe if I knew I was going to be here for another few years, I wouldn't have had. I find myself asking challenging questions asking deep questions about what's going on in people's lives. And I've been reminded that that's what we should be doing all the time. That we can come in and we can come out of this place on a Sunday. We can come in and come out of meeting with one another throughout the week. And yet, how are we looking out for our brothers and sisters? Do we know how our friends and our family are getting on in their walk with God? 
How many of us can come into this place and put on the appearance that our relationship with God is great? But the reality is we know that we are far from Him. The writer has warned throughout the book of Hebrews and he says it again. We need to look out for each other. We need to warn one another. We need to challenge one another. If we see people drifting, we need to go after them. And we need to call them back to God. We need to keep meeting and supporting one another. But then finally, verses 32 to 39, keep going. The writer finishes this chapter by reminding us of our wonderful future and that we must keep going to get there. And he reminds his congregation that when they first became Christian, their lives were totally dedicated to God's cause because of this future hope they had. Look from verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What does he say? He says, you were willing to put up with anything, anything, because you knew that there was something much greater to come. He says, you were willing to put up with anything because you knew of your greater and better lasting possessions. He says you were willing to put up with anything because your focus was on heaven. He says they were looking forward to their future hope. And it enabled them to stand in the present difficulties. And so the writer challenges us and he says that's what we're to do. The more we have a heavenly perspective, the more that's going to help us in our earthly life. Because that's where our true home is. Our home is not this world, but it is with Christ, with God for eternity. And so he says, the more we realize that, the more we have this eternal perspective, well, it's going to spur us on. It's going to keep us going. It's going to help us persevere right to the end. The writer says here, he's reminding them. He says, remember your first love. Remember how you were and keep on going. Maybe some of us need to recapture that first joy of being a Christian. That love which meant we do anything for God, whatever the cost. As the years have gone by, maybe we've dulled a little in our zeal for the Lord and our joy. Last week of August, I was part of the PCI team to Bally Castle. Um, like so many things in my life, I got talked into it and didn't know how to say no. Um, and kind of was quite fearful of going on a team knowing that I would be far and away the oldest member on the team. Um, whenever your team leader sends you an email and his address is his name with the year 1994 after it, 
you just think, mm. But I had a great week. And yeah, I was by far and away the oldest member on the team. But you know, I was challenged more by the rest of the team, by those young team members at 18, 19, and 20. And I remember one night lying in bed thinking, God, when did I get so cynical? Looking at them and seeing how on fire they were for God, the passion that they had, the love that they had, the heart that they had. And they were a real challenge to me. How easy is it for us to lose our wonder of the cross? And so look how this chapter finishes, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. We mustn't lose our confidence because God is faithful to his promises. What he has promised, he will do. And one day Christ is returning. And look what it says, a little while. And so believers here tonight, we need to keep persevering. We need to keep on going. We need to never lose our first love. We never need to lose the wonder of the cross. Before I went into Union College, I did the Cornhill training course, and it was the great privilege to have Helen Roosevelt come in for an afternoon. And she was asked a question, and she was asked, what would you say to these young men and women in this room who were training and thinking and looking ahead to how God was going to use them? And Helen replied, never stop falling in love with Christ. What an amazing passage this is. A passage that reminds us how blessed we are. A passage that reminds us that it's not about religion we do, but it's about what has been done for us and Christ at the cross. It's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to say that we need to keep going. We need to keep persevering. We need to keep looking out for each other. We need to keep meeting together. We need to be warned of the dangers We need to come back to the cross. What does it mean to you tonight? Do you think I don't need it? I'm fine. Look at what the writer says. Only in Christ. Do you look at the cross and you say, I know I'm thankful for it down this road 30, 40 years, we'll come back to that cross tonight and remind yourself of what was done for you and for me.
May we never lose the wonder of the cross. May we never forget that it is the cross that saves. For those of us that believe, for those of us that follow Christ, we're going to be standing in glory one day. We're going to be united together. Kilkeel, Bloomfield, Resharkin, all across this land, all across this globe, singing praises, glorifying our Lord and our God. And we're going to be there because of the cross. May we never lose our wonder. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the writer to the Hebrews. Father, we thank you for this glorious passage of Scripture. For the reminder that it is not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. For the challenge for what it means to each one of us. That we can never be good enough. That we can never do enough but it's only because of Christ's once and for all sacrifice. And then, Father, for those of us that follow you, the challenge for what it means that we need to keep persevering, we need to keep holding on, we need to keep meeting together, and we need to keep being focused on that eternal perspective, our future eternity with you, so, Father, by the work of your Spirit, speak into each of our hearts tonight and illuminate this passage to us. And we ask it in your name. Amen.